Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,338. Today on Cars Yeah, I'm celebrating the 47th annual Forest Grove Concours that takes place on Sunday, July 21st on the campus of Pacific University in beautiful Forest Grove, Oregon. For more information, go to forestgroveconcours.org. Don't tell someone to go to hell because they don't go. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, calling in from beautiful Lake Oswego, Oregon, David Charvet. Hey, David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am buckled up and ready to go. All right, here we go. David Charvet is the founder of Charvet Classic Cars, where over 15 years he has sold classic and vintage automobiles. Several years ago, he branched out into selling car collectors' estates that includes automobiles, automotive memorabilia, petroliana, and other automotive-related items that collectors like us seem to amass over our lifetime. In his previous career, David was a performing magician, and he is known as one of the foremost historians in the world of magic. He's authored over a dozen books about magic practitioners, and his writings have garnered multiple awards over the years. For over 40 years, David performed magic around the world, which is pretty cool. We're going to learn a little bit about that. But he's also a longtime judge at the Forest Grove Concours, now in its 47th year, taking place on the campus of Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon, in about a week from now. So, David, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your career and a very obvious passion that you have for automobiles and maybe a little magic? Well, the the story of me, really, it all revolves around history. I love history. I was raised among history. My dad always was telling us to go read up in a book and learn something. And he always said, you should know a little bit about everything. And so I took that to heart and I loved history, which of course led to magic history. But for me, it also led to automobiles, old cars. So it's all wrapped up in that one word history with me. I love it. I love it. Well, we're going to learn about your history as we go through the questions here. But I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been a bit instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a great way to get the inspirational wheels or tires turning here on cars. Yeah. So David, take the wheel. This was a a quote or a mantra that was uh, given to me by my great friend, the late, great Marty Shelton, who Mm, was for a a race car driver for 60 years. He had a very successful automobile dealership in Portland, Oregon for about 60 years. And he always told me the famous line he had is don't tell someone to go to hell because they don't go. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and it's not always that the you know the customer is not always right but yeah. you don't want to burn a bridge so no, in, in no, life never. i think that's true in life so you know someone may have a differing opinion they may not agree with you but just go with the flow you know yeah. it's life is too short <laughs> so just you know i i love that and we we just recently lost uh the great Monty shelton i would have loved to have had him be a guest here on the show um i know that you guys were close friends and let's touch on Monty just for a brief moment here because sure. He lived a life that was absolutely fantastic. He lived a life that was full of excitement and fun around automobiles. So what's your 
relationship with him and your memories of the great Monty Shelton? Boy, I knew Monty for probably 25 years. I met him initially through the Classic Car Club here in Portland. We were members, and he always had great classic cars. And then about uh, he bought a car for me. He bought a 1940 Packard that I had about 20-some years ago, and that's when we really knew each other. And then about 10 years ago, he called me, and what led to this mantra I just told you was the fact he said, David, uh, a man I had working with me who was selling my old cars for me just told a customer to go to hell, basically. It, and not in, in, in worse words than that. <laughs> but uh, he said, you know, I had to fire him. And he said, I really need someone who understands old cars and loves them and is not just a salesman, but someone who can, you know, talk the talk and understands what they're about. So he asked me if I wanted to help him out. I did. And we were together doing this for about 10 years, which coincided with my own business. And that's kind of why he brought me on board because he, I think felt I knew what I was doing. So, but, but we were, I mean, I'm, I was about half his age. I mean, I'm, 58 now. Monty was 85 when we lost him here a few weeks ago. So he was like a father to me in many respects, but also just a great storyteller, a great raconteur. Uh, and he did everything his way. He came from the bottom up, literally. I mean, he was started out on a car lot washing cars in Portland. And, and when the boss went away one day and no one was there to sell a car, he sold his first car and it went from there. And that was in 1957, I think. So, yeah, so he, he was for over 60 years involved with the car business every day. And then, of course, racing, 600 races over a 60-year career. I was at his last race, which was in April. So here, just two months before he died, he was in the cockpit racing a car at Portland International Raceway. And it's funny, he told me, he didn't know he was ill at the time, and it really just snuck up on him. It was pancreatic cancer and came very quickly. But when he was racing, he got out of the car and he called me afterwards, and we talked every day. And he said, you know, David, he said, when I was coming out of the curves, I had double vision. And I said, well, you know, and he said, I, I was overshooting the corners when I was coming out of the curves. And I said, well, what do you do? He said, well, I just closed one eye and went around. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> just make so, sure you close the right one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. No, but, but he, he was just a really sweetheart of a guy. I know of no one who has a bad word to say about Monty Shelton, which is rare yeah. in the car business, you know, Absolutely. For car dealer. Yeah. As he always said, his great, his great bit about being a car dealer was in 60 years, he was never sued by anyone. He never had a problem. I mean, you always have customers who are unhappy at some point, but there was nothing where he couldn't make it right. And that was always a big thing with him. And it, it flowed over into the old cars when we would handle his old cars and cars that he had purchased from friends and things that I ended up marketing for him. He would always spend the extra dollar or go the extra mile. If something wasn't right, he said, we got to make it right before we ever advertise it or put it out there because it, you don't want it to come back and you don't no. want an unhappy customer. And I've lived that mantra as well. You know, you always want the customer to be happy. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, the great Monty Shelton, we lost a good one there. So uh, shout out to his family members and friends. Uh, condolences for sure. Well, let's talk about your passion for cars and what instigated that passion. I want you to tell me about a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were indeed a car guy. Well, the pivotal moment that may be interested in old cars goes back to probably when I was about five years old, and it was a movie called The Great Race. 
Mm, yes, remember that. Tony yeah. Curtis, Jack Lemmon. Uh-huh. It was a farce based on the New York to Paris race of 1908. Yep. And, but the cars were great. And as a little kid, you go, wow, I don't see these cars on the street, but these are really cool. And it, again, it was that history thing, too. Even at that age, I was still, you know, it was forming in somewhere in my system that this history was really cool. And these old cars, or allegedly in the movie, old cars were still pretty cool. And so that started. My dad had always been around cars. Uh, he was, I say, in World War II, he had been a, a flight on the flight crew of bombers in the South Pacific, and so he had a mechanical background. Worked at Boeing. He was always bringing home cars, you know, that he would find and work on them, and he, not so much buy and sell, but just because he loved them and he didn't want to see something become derelict. So, his background again was the automotive and carburation when he was in the Air Force, and uh, ended up working in Seattle. There was a, a, a unlimited hydroplane racing, which goes on in Seattle. It was in its infancy in the 50s, and he was in charge of all the carburation on the slow motion boats, which were really the ones that started unlimited hydroplane racing as we know it today. And so he was always tweaking stuff and very mechanically adept. I was not. I was not. I did not necessarily want to become a mechanic when I was young, but I was, again, watching him do this and, again, appreciating these various weird old cars that would show up at our house at some time. So, so <laughs> that did it. But then again, I, I got into show business and magic, which was again, the history thing, but I, I ended up performing all over the world. I still perform actually. So I, I'm not giving it up. I was just in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago. Oh, uh, cool. So I still travel and tour and do that stuff. But, uh, so magic kind of took over my life for a while, but always germinating in the back of my head was this thought one day I'm going to have an old car. Yeah. And so that's it. It's took about 30 years, but uh, it did, it <laughs> but did you happen. got there. It happened. Exactly. Yeah. I remember that movie came out, uh, 65. I was yep. seven years old and there's some pretty famous folks in that movie. Jack Lemon, Tony Curtis, Natalie Wood, Peter Falk, Vivian Vance. I mean, there's a bunch of others, but, oh, yeah. uh, I do remember that movie. In fact, my parents took us to a drive-in and yep. we were in a Oldsmobile Vista cruiser. And I remember my dad backing it in. And so my sister and I could sit in the back and look out. I don't know what my folks were doing in the front seat. I can only guess. But uh, <laughs> I kept saying, whack, how come they're facing the other way? But uh, we sat back there and watched that movie. It was great fun. And, uh, oh, yeah, the great it, race. It, it's a long movie, too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like three hours. It's Blake Edwards. <laughs> oh, I don't remember it being that long. Oh, oh it's, my God. it's long. It's really long. Okay. They have an inter- actually, it's one of those movies where they have an intermission in the middle of it. Well, I remember that. Yeah, the intermission uh, video would come on and you'd yep. go to the little snack shack. and. Yep. Buy your popcorn and stuff. Let's all and, go yeah. to the lobby. Yeah. There, you, there go. you go. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. Yeah. But no, it was it was a great, great fun, and the cars were great, and the whole idea that you know this flamboyant, over the top, you know, yeah, film. silly stuff. Yeah, yeah it, it was it was great. But the, yeah, that that one thing just stuck me as being really cool. Those cars were really cool, and I thought I need to have a car one day. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, that may have been what did it for me. I'm not sure that or my dad's '49 MGTC that uh, I was always enamored with. Well, I want to take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or a big failure that you've faced along the way. And more importantly, the lesson that it taught you and how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your career, in your life, in your business. Well, personally, uh, I've been through cancer twice. I had, oh, my goodness. I had, I had uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma about 20 years ago, and then a few years ago, I had prostate cancer. So, oh, my goodness. Wow. So from that, you learn don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. <laughs> Live each day for the day, and, and don't put things off. 
And so I don't put things off. And that's, yeah. you know, and sometimes you become a little bit of a workaholic because of it, because you don't know what your time is. I'm perfectly fine. Everything's great. I feel great. But you, but you still always in the back of your head say, you know, I have nothing to complain about. I have, my life is great. Everything is good. I've got a wonderful family. And in terms of business, you just move ahead. You always move ahead and, and, and nothing upsets me. Nothing phases me because it can't, there's no reason for it to. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy. And you know, my mother's a cancer survivor as well. And we've lost other family members to cancer and you're right. In fact, I was just talking to an old high school friend of mine. It was, she just turned 60 yesterday. I gave her a call and uh, she was talking about how many funerals of her parents' friends she's been having to go to. She still lives in the city where I grew up down in La Jolla, California. And uh, yeah, you just don't know. And with my social media presence now through Cars, yeah, I have a lot of followers. I don't know personally a lot of them, but it's like every week, one or two people. We just lost Barry McGuire's daughter, Nicole, who was a guest on the show. I believe oh, wow. I've had I've had six or seven guests now who've been guests of mine on Cars Yeah podcast that we've lost. So yeah, cherish every day. It's cliche, but it is so true. Uh live every day uh to its fullest. Um, and as just, and as a dear friend of mine said, every time you lose a friend, go out and make another one. Ah, Take there you place. go. And it's true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special vehicle. You've had a lot of cool cars, I know, but is there one in particular, that first one you got that you finally went, yeah, I finally got this thing. And tell us a memory you have about that ride. Well, the one that tipped me over the edge. I mean, I, I always, again, I always knew I wanted an old car. My my brother, older brother, was a member of the Model A Ford Club, although he didn't have a Model A. He always was looking for a Model A. never really found one. But mm-hmm. I always thought I wanted something, but I didn't want, I, I don't know, I wanted something a little more, not necessarily exotic, but just something a little bit different. So I was uh, at a business meeting, unrelated to magic and show business, of an advertising meeting, because that's my other business I've been in for years. And uh, I was at a restaurant, and I go to the into the parking lot. I arrive at this restaurant and there's a whole slew of Packards in this parking lot. I think, wow, this is cool. And it was the local Packard club having a meeting. So of course I poke my head in the door and I said, Hey, I've I've thought about a Packard. And and they said, well, you need to meet this guy, Dave McCready. And so Dave McCready, who's a long time Packard owner and restorer and collector here in the Portland area. I met Dave and he's about six foot five, great big guy. And, and I said, Hey, I've been looking for a Packard. He said, I've got one. And it's it's a 1940 Packard 120 sedan. And he said, I think you'll like it. And so a couple of days later, I went out to his house, looked at the car, fell in love, bought it. And the rest is history. That was that was the car. And the, the great thing was I did not get jaded, as a lot of people do from their first old car experience. This car was done. It was restored. It was a proven driver. And I was naive enough at that time, at least in terms of operating an old car, that I just got in it and drove it. And it never let me down, which, you know, that is (laughs) that's the key moment, I think, because if you get a bad car and it sullies your whole experience, you're going to hate them. But I I drove that car 30,000 miles in three years that I had. I drove it practically every day and I lo- and it was, you know, it, 120, which is the smaller Packard. So it's easier to handle, easier to drive, easier to find parts for and had overdrive second year, the Packard offered overdrive. So you could drive it on the freeway at 60, 65. I got in it one day and I went to visit some friends in Salt Lake city and took it out and headed out on 84 up the Columbia river gorge down, went to Salt Lake city, came back. Oh my gosh. Great. Great. <laughs> and so, yeah. And that was in the middle of summer and yeah, you got a little vapor lock, click on the electric 
fuel pump, away it goes, and it was fine. So that sealed my interest in or knowledge that you can drive an old car and that Packards were probably the best built car of the day. And and I still believe that, which is why I probably own so many Packards, nine nine of them over the years. Oh, my gosh. You know, talk about serendipity, being in a meeting and seeing all these cars sticking your head in the door and and – just saying, mm-hmm. hey, I'm kind of interested, and look where it, it ended up. I mean, it's a great story about getting involved with car people, clubs, organizations, and that's how you find the best cars. It really is. is Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. You go to the knowledgeable people. I mean, you go to the Mark-specific clubs. If you're mm-hmm. looking, you know, if you're a Hudson person or you want to have a step-down Hudson, go to the Hudson Club. And you know, and it's the same thing. And Classic Car Club's the same. There are a wider variety of cars, of course, but there's always some person. If you want a Cadillac, a you know, pre-war Cadillac, there's always some pre-war Cadillac person in the club who will tell you all about oh, it. Yeah. And yeah, it's well, great. And the lesson here is find a car that's already been sorted, which is exactly what you did. Versus doing all that work yourself, and there's always some little niggly thing that oh yeah, yeah. you know you have to deal with, especially in an old car. But what a wonderful story! Well, how about Sellers and Morris? You said you've owned a lot of Packards in particular, but is there one car that if you could have it back? And let's take money off the table here, sure. just just an emotional basis. Two of them, probably. They're both Cadillacs. One was a 1934 Cadillac, which is, uh, 34s are a pretty rare breed of car. They were uh, kind of an individual one-year, two-year design, basically, but they were one year with what they call their biplane bumpers, a very Art Deco, very aerodynamic-looking car. Really, the first aerodynamic Cadillac was 1934, and it was built around the time of the World's Fair in Chicago and when everything was Art Deco, and I think they built total production of Cadillac in 34, because we're talking the middle of the Depression was like 20 2,700 cars of the of the 20 series. So, I mean, they were, they were not a lot of them made. I had this car and got it again from a, a guy here in the local classic car club. I actually sold it for him to someone else. And then it came back and went to a friend of mine who has a dealership, Dale Matthews, who has memory lane motors in Portland. He had the car and I, and Dale had it for about a year. Nobody seemed to know what it was or wanted it. And I went to Dale, I said, look, I know what it is. I already sold it once, so I'll buy it. (laughs) (laughs) So I bought it back and I enjoyed it. I upgraded it, did all the little things you want to do. I took it down to the Cadillac national show in 2016 and walked away with a first place with the car. Cool. And touring, which was cool. And then I had a guy call me because, of course, I put it out there as I put out everything I have because they're just cars. <laughs> and so yeah, that's so the I business it, you're in. I <laughs> can't yeah. keep them all. But I put it out there and the guy bought it and he and he had it. And he said, I have a limousine service. So that's great. But I said, realize this is a 1934 car. You know, it's a 50 mile an hour car, blah, blah, blah. So fine. And he got it. And. About a month later, I heard they overheated it. They seized the engine. Oh, no. They tore out the engine, put in a short block Chevy, changed uh, the front clip. I mean, this was, this was a national first place car. And oh, I, my you know, God. I kicked myself in the head and say, but yeah. again, it's the old saying once the taillights are over the curb, it's theirs and they can drive it off a cliff or do whatever they want. So yeah. that's kind of one I'd like to have back. The other one was a 39 Cadillac, a convertible sedan, Series 75, which was the big convertible sedan. It was probably the most expensive Cadillac made in 39 next to the V. 16. They built 36 of them. Really limited production car. Four-door big convertible on a 140-inch wheelbase. The one I had was made for the mayor of Minneapolis as his parade car. And wow. it's, it's funny because it was made for the mayor of Minneapolis, big parade car, but it had no radio and no heater. 
no heater in Minneapolis. That's a little <laughs> odd, isn't it? Yeah. It was used in the summer, but it was in the motor no pool. No parades in the winter in Minneapolis no, anyway. Oh, no. so it was used in the motor pool until the 50s. A guy bought it, stuck it in a garage, and then it was purchased by the president of the National Cadillac Club. He had it until he died. Then a friend of mine had it here in Portland. And uh, kind of a long story short, it's already a long story, but uh, <laughs> we were on a classic car club tour. I was driving my 37 Packard I had at the time, which was, again, a great car. All Packards are great as far as I'm concerned. And we were driving on this tour, and I'm with my wife in the car, and I said, you know, the 37 now is dialed in. It's perfect. And she was looking ahead of us, and this convertible was ahead of us. And she said, you know, the next car we get should be something like that. And I said, yeah, that's great. I love that car. So as fate would have it, we stop at the next little rest stop on this car tour. And I'm talking to this guy who has this Cadillac. And I said, boy, I really love your car. He said, well, you know, I really love your Packard. And then yeah. he then <laughs> drops the bomb. He said, well, you wouldn't want to trade, would you? There you go. Trade across? Okay. So I did. And I had it. And then I, I really liked the car. My son at the time was about four years old and I would roar around. I used to live out in the country out here near uh, west of east of Portland, rather. And so we'd roar around in the summertime in that car and it was great. But at that time, and my son, again, is about four years old in the car seat. And we're in this open car running around. And about that same time, I had a guy who really wanted the car and I really didn't want to sell it because I hadn't had it that long. And so. I ended up at the same time, there was a guy who had restored a Duesenberg back East and he had taken it out on the inaugural drive with his wife and his kids. And as he's driving this open Duesenberg, he gets broadsided by a car. The Duesenberg rolls, it throws everyone out. This is a horrible story. And he is killed. His wife is killed. One of the daughters is killed. So the two kids are left orphans and it's all. And so I hear this story and I'm thinking, I'm here. I am roaring around with my four-year-old son in this open car that's you know seven years old. I probably shouldn't do it. So I took the money um, from this guy, sold the car, and then he parked it in a garage and never drove it. And he died, and it ended up at the Imperial Palace. And now I hear it's in Mexico City. So it's oh still God. out. It's still out there. But I wish I had it back. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Well, you seem to have a knack for being in the right place at the right time uh you should be buying more lottery tickets i think um <laughs> the serendipity cars that are uh, cars are not an investment i shouldn't say that car you buy a car because you love it you don't buy yeah. it for it to make money you don't buy it for any reason other than you personally like it at that point yep. in your life Absolutely. and i think you have to that way because if you if you think you're going to buy cars as an investment they're not an investment you might get Usually lucky not yeah don't ever add up all the money you spend on them <laughs> no, no, but drive it. I mean, the people yeah. who have cars, stick them in the garage. I said, buy a picture and hang it on the wall. It's cheaper and it doesn't drip. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Well, yeah, I do that with uh, with model cars of models I can't afford, you know, yeah. Ferrari Testarossas and short wheelbase Ferrari GTOs and things like that. Um, yeah, uh, I think I sold, just buy- I sold both of those, so I could have gotten oh. you one if you wanted one. Oh, God, bad timing again. <laughs> Well, let's move on. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your involvement with the annual, this is the 47th annual Forest Grove Concours. Yeah, our good friend Alan Stevens has been involved in this forever. He's been a guest on the show. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, then also talk a little bit more about Charvet Classic Cars and the different things that people could expect to find from you if they're in the market for a car or if they have an estate they need to liquidate. So let's start with the Forest Grove Concours. It's coming up real soon here. 
Uh, 20, 21st of July, I believe. So That's uh, right. Yes, Sunday. Yeah. Sunday the 21st. It is the 47th year, and for any car show to last 47 years, it's it's pretty amazing. Incredible. And, yeah. you know, next to Pebble Beach, I think on the West Coast, it's one of the longest-running car shows in the, in the, no on the West Coast. And the nice thing is it's put together by a bunch of people, again, who love cars and who, you know, have the best intentions always on getting a, an assortment of cars that are interesting that are different they seek out different cars from all over the country and all over the world in many cases and they really take the time to make sure it's it's a diverse show there are lots of varieties of cars there and it's it is really something for everyone from the earliest horseless carriages up to modern supercars resto mods hot rods a little bit of everything and it's in a beautiful location it's uh, pacific university which is in forest grove oregon which is about probably 30 minutes west of Portland and it's absolutely beautiful trees, you know, over the whole campus. So it's uh, even on a hot day, it's a, a beautiful setting and just really, really a, a well done show. And uh, I've been involved with judging. I've been going there for geez, over 20 years now when I first went and it, every year it's different. I mean, you have really, again, a, an amazing variety of cars and things that you wouldn't normally see at your average car show, shall we say. There's so many car shows now. I mean, it's it's diluted the hobby to a bit, but in a way, it's also made it more approachable for people that you are reaching more potential people who might be interested in old cars because of so many shows. But the big grand shows like Pebble Beach and like Forest Grove and Kirkland Concours, you know, th things like that that uh, really showcase the best of the best. There, there are very few of them out there anymore that really say do it right. But I think Forest Grove does it right. They always have. Yeah, absolutely. I've been to it many times. It's a fantastic event. If you want to learn more, just go to forestgroveconcord.org and you can check it out. Now, how about Charvet Classic Cars? Tell our listeners a little bit more about this business that you uh, have in the automotive business. And I love the concept that you help estates because a lot of times, and I've been to some estate sales where you can tell they have no clue about the automotive stuff. In fact, I helped a lady years ago down in Rancho Santa Fe. There was a beautiful old Mercedes in her garage and the company she'd hired we're trying to sell it for like a third of what it was worth. And I wasn't really interested in it. I could have bought it and flipped it, but I just didn't feel right. And I went in and said, you know, you guys are making a huge mistake with your client here. And they ended up selling it. And the lady actually ended up calling me and thanking me for the money that I helped her make. But Tell us a little bit about that side of the business. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, my my business, it didn't start as a business. It started again. And I think as all people who usually have any sort of business, it starts as a love, a love of, again, I love the old cars. I owned dozens of old cars over the years. And my wife also is a car person. I mean, when I met her, I would say she was driving a 1931 Cadillac. So I said, oh, how, wow. could I, how could I go wrong? <laughs> yeah. You know, so there we go. But, and, you know, we got married and, you know, she was always around cars as a kid too. So we kind of meshed in our interest. And so it, it has worked well, but because of that, my, my interest in old cars and because of my background of having owned all these cars, it gave me this knowledge base, which has helped me tremendously. And it also gave me this network of people whom I've known over the years. And as we've talked about, unfortunately, a lot of car collectors are getting older 
And so the guys who, I mean, face, I mean, I was in my thirties and I had a Packard. Most of the guys who had Packards were in their seventies, you know, sixties, seventies, eighties. And as they started, you know, deciding and realizing, Hey, I'm not going to take it with me. They would come to me because they knew I had been in the advertising world and done TV and radio ads. So I was a known, they knew my face, I guess, in Portland, I had done advertising for about 30 years on radio and TV here. So they kind of know me or they feel they know me and they did know me because we were friends in the club. So they would come to me and ask kind of, how can I, you know, I want to sell my car and you're a car guy and you've had lots of cars. What do I do? And back in the late nineties, eBay motors was in its infancy. I mean, 1998 was when I first started selling on eBay, which was right at the beginning. And so I would basically, uh, help them write their ad. I would photograph the car. I would do all this stuff and then put it online for them and basically let them handle the money and they had the title and they had the car. So I was kind of like, I was like the nickel ads. <laughs> I was like, I was the guy where you'd place the ad and I would help you do it. And then I did this so much and I had so many friends having me sell cars, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens over several years that finally the state of Oregon came to me. The red flag went up and they said, yeah. you're, you're a car. Do you have dealer. a license? Yeah. <laughs> I I'm not. I, I, I still, it begs the question. I said, look, I don't have a car lot. I don't have balloons on cars. You know, I, I don't have all these cars sitting here. And I'm not a dealer. Well, you are a dealer. So, of course, you can't fight the government. So I said, fine, I'm a dealer. And I bit the bullet and said, okay, I'll be a dealer. And in a way, it's been good because certainly it does legitimize you somewhat among the public that they realize, yeah, I'm licensed, modded, insured, and I am a real dealer. But it's still, to me, it's the love of these cars and finding good homes for these, correct, you know, home for these cars, which makes it easy on the owner because I do handle everything now. I'll handle, you know, all the details, take care of the tire kickers answer the questions i i will never be a big business simply because i'm i'm too much of a control freak in the sense that i want i want to take all the pictures i want to drive the car i want to crawl underneath it i want to know every bit about this car and about the backstory so that when someone calls me i can talk about it because there are so many guys who have what we call consignment dealers and there's lots of them on the internet and the problem is they have never seen the car they're taking someone's word for it and yeah, they may not be malicious but you know someone may not really understand understand how good or bad their car is in yeah, terms of all yeah. details. Or embellish some things that exactly. aren't quite right. Yeah. Yes, that does happen. So mm -hmm. because I see and touch and put my hand on every one that is on my website, I can absolutely tell you it's a good car. And number one, it would not be on my website if it were not a good car. But beyond that, because of this, selling these cars, I've handled friends of mine's cars. And as they got older, I would sell maybe one or two cars and three or four more for them, depending upon the size of their collection. And by the time, inevitably, they would pass away, then the family was left with the stuff. I termed the stuff because there's always stuff. Everybody collects stuff beyond cars. I have had guys who have huge model train collections. I had a Ford collection I did, which was a father and son in Portland. They started collecting in the 1940s, and the father died, and the son carried on. They had two houses. They lived next door to each other, and both houses were completely full. And this is Model T and early Ford V8 stuff. And then they also had two eight-car garages behind their house which had one was a full shop, which had every, like walking into the parts department of the Ford dealership, 
every NOS part. And then the other one was the museum. Had all, and so, of course, they both died. The family said, what do we do? Well, I had this mother of all Ford sales, and I've done it for a guy who had a Chevrolet collection here in Portland that had, was pretty much centric to 1937 Chevrolets. And you say, well, how much can there be about 1937 Chevrolets? Well, this guy had a, a warehouse that was this, a full city block that had probably every piece, every part. It, again, was like walking into the 37 Chevrolet dealership. And so I put a sale together from that, and it's not an auction. I, I don't like auctions because people get out of control, and I don't think it's, again, you can drive up a price to a point, but for what reason? I think there's a fairness. We know what market value is on this stuff pretty much. It's, you know, everything's been sold at some time in the past. And so through research, and again, this love of history that I have, I've gone back, researched all this stuff. It sometimes will, these sales will take three months to prepare, but when I open the doors, I've had people camp out three days in advance. Oh my these gosh. Sales. They, they, <laughs> they're camp yeah. and they sit there. They want to be the first in line. And I've had, yeah. you know, again, had fist fights break out almost from people. I was here first. No, I was here first. But you know, I said, right. Oh guys, it's only old car stuff. Don't worry about it. There's plenty to go around. And there is yeah. none yeah. of this stuff ever falls off the earth. It always ends up back somewhere. somewhere. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so you never have to worry. It's wow. A, someone else may have bought it out from under you believe me in, in several years it'll probably be available again so yeah wow that's kind of the, how the estate thing came about and it's yeah it's always interesting because every person's interest is different every estate is different and always a different group of people although i do have a bunch of groupies of regulars it seems like now who show up sure. and come yeah. to these sales now because they know there's usually if i'm going to do it there's usually good stuff so very very cool so if people want to follow you learn more about these things as they come up how can they find you? sure i am on line at charvet and i'll spell that for you it is c-h-a-r-v as in victor e-t charvet like chevrolet charvet classic car dot com classic with two c's in the middle and an s at the end charvet classic cars.com i'll make sure i put a link to that on david's show notes page on the cars yeah website well david up next is the last lap before we put the pedal to the metal let's say thank you to today's cars yeah sponsors what's the worst thing for your car's interior no it's not that milkshake the kids spilled in the back seat it's the sun Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install stay where you put them, and are custom pattern for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah. And I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week. 
thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on Mav TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find Mav TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Okay, David, we're back, and I have a bit of an introspective question for you. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a car parked in the garage, what would you be and why? Well, I would be a Packard. I've owned okay. so many of I've become a Packard. And okay. I, I say that because I'm kind of I'm like a Packard. I'm solid, I'm steady. I'm a little conservative, and I never let you down. There you go. I love it. Well, we are entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some quick blips of the Packard throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Always buy them done. Yeah, <laughs> we talked buy, about that always earlier. Always buy them restored. And it, 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 believe me, people say, well, it's so much money. I, I, no, you are not going to save money by no. buying a car unless you are really mechanically adept yourself. But yeah. e- even then, your time is worth something. So buy them done. There you go. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? Perseverance is the biggest one. Yeah. I think you always, if again, it is the old trite phrase, at first you don't succeed, try again. Yeah, I mean, you will have failures, you will have successes, but you temper all those with just keep on going. You you know, tomorrow is a different day and just move ahead, move ahead. Yeah. And everything always tends to fall into line. And don't try to push things because the, everything happens for a reason at a certain time. There you go. Now, how about a resource? Is there one you'd like to share? One of my favorites, and as a car guy, and particularly as a guy who lists and deals in a lot of cars, you're always wondering, what color is that car? What is that color? There is a resource online, which is wonderful. It's called autocolorlibrary.com, autocolorlibrary.com. And it's a paint shop resource. They sell paint for old cars. But beyond that, absolutely free, you can go on, and they have the paint chips online for practically every automobile that has been built. You can type in any obscure thing. Going back to even when these were coach-built horseless carriages, they have the paint catalogs from these companies that made varnish and shellac back in 1910 and what the colors, the correct colors were. And it's amazing, amazing. You can, I mean, you know, 1946 Hudson, what color? Boom, they're all there with the actual color chips, you know, 48 Packard, boom, they're all there. And it's wonderful if you are, again, are researching a car or you're trying to decide what color am I going to paint my car if you didn't buy it done or if you're going to redo it. And it's really a great resource, autocolorlibrary.com, one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. I recently had Rob Sass, who's the editor-in-chief at Porsche Panorama Magazine, and they just produced a website called Renbow, which is R-E-N-N-B-O-W, which are all the past Porsche colors oh, cool. uh, that you can find, uh, including some specialty colors like an old Porsche that I have was a very rare color, non-Porsche color, but painted at the factory. So uh, autocolorlibrary.com sounds fantastic. Now, if cool. I could arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? 
Okay, here's an odd name for you. George Schuster. George Schuster. That doesn't ring a bell. Who's George Schuster? George Schuster was the guy who sat behind the wheel for 25,000 miles driving the Thomas Flyer in 1908 from New York to Paris. Oh, okay. He was, he was again, going back to the great race. We're this back was, to the great race, this yeah. This was the guy. This was, well, there were two guys. There was another guy, Montague Roberts. He did the, kind of the first leg but dropped out. But George Schuster was the guy. He was. He worked for uh, the Thomas Motor Company in Buffalo. And they and the story of that car is pretty fascinating. They just grabbed a car off the line about a week before the race and decided, we're going to race. And that was wow. it. And so they sent George, who worked at the factory and was a mechanic, and said, you get to go in case it breaks down. And he did. <laughs> and they started in January of 1908. And he went around the world, took him until June of 08 to get to Paris. And, <laughs> you know, wow. they started in the winter in New York. I mean, how smart is that? <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> see, in those with, days, yeah. No, it's a fascinating story. There, there's been a documentary about it that was put out a couple of years ago. And that, and then also I read a book as a kid, uh, which, again, sealed this idea of how interesting old cars were. And, yeah, Schuster would be great. To, and there is actually, if you go online on YouTube, there was an old TV show called I've Got a Secret back in oh, the yeah. 50s. Gary Remember Moore. that? Three yep. more. I've got a secret. And George Schuster, there is an episode with George Schuster talking about it. And at the end, they open the curtain and they show him the car, uh. which was a complete derelict shape then in the 50s. And it was found. It was up in the museum in Long Island. And he didn't believe it was the real car that he had driven until Bill Harrod got it and re was restoring it. And they brought him out. This is in the late 60s. And he was nearly 90 years old. They brought him out to look at this car. And he said, well, if it's the car, he said, you know, I broke the frame in Siberia and on the side of the road, I welded the frame back together with a piece of metal and an open fire. And he said, if this is a real car, it has to repair. <laughs> and he looked and it was there. there it was. So Schuster wow. so, would be fascinating to me. That's incredible. What a story. How about a book? Is there a book you'd like to share with us that you've enjoyed? Well, a great book that I read recently is called The Devil's Mercedes. And it's written by a man named Robert Clara, who's a historian. Again, it's it's history, and it's about this circuitous, weird story of after World War II, the story of Adolf Hitler's staff car, Mercedes, and what happened to it, and how it made its way to America, how it ended up that there were two of them, and this the whole story of how this was thing was taken out on exhibition in the 1940s and 50s in a carnival. It ended up in a museum. It ended up at an auction. And it, it's it's a fascinating story of this story. Again, the stories that these cars have after they roll out of the factory and what happens. And, of course, this was owned by the worst man in the world, but it was still – the story of this car and what it went through afterwards, or these two cars, which were, have both been confused about each other, it's really an amazing story. The Devil's say it's about a it's a 770K is the car. It still exists, and it's it's you know, again the most infamous car probably ever made. But it's an innocent bystander to all this uh, moments in history. But it's it's really a remarkable story and very well written, and it's gotten great reviews too. So very cool. If you're our guy or gal who like history, it's the Devil's Mercedes. Very cool. Well, David, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet, but there's some rules to this game that may make it a challenge for someone like you. One is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. You have to drive it. No garage queens allowed, but that's no problem for you. But here's the kicker. It's the only one car you can have in your garage. 
It's a collector. So what's it going to be? Well, I thought about this long and hard, let me tell you, because again, I've been around hundreds and hundreds of really cool cars, but I come back to one that I owned and that I sold, which <laughs> was a 1938 Packard, get that, Packard, <laughs> 12-cylinder V12 club sedan. They built 27 of them. It was a pretty rare car, but it was a car that my wife and I took on our honeymoon. We were married. We rode it out of the church, all that stuff, and I don't know why I sold it, unsentimental me, but uh, yeah, I know where it's at. It's down in California, but I don't think the guy wants to sell it. But if he ever did, I would want that car back because it, just, it has great memories and was a great car. And and it was the best Packard ever built. The 12 were fabulous cars. And, yeah. So, yeah. and it's just, they're amazing. So that's, that's the one. That's the one. Well, no doubt. I figured it was a car you had your hands on before. Well, you've taken us on a great ride today. This has been really fun, David. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Is there a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance that you could share before you drive off into the sunset in that 38 pack. (laughs) Sure. A great piece of advice given to me, not by a car guy, but by a friend of mine, an old friend of mine who was a magician, a man named Orman McGill and very wise old man. And he said, life should be a playground, not a battleground. And I, I really believe in that. And life is too short to get upset and mad at people. It just enjoy it. You got one shot. So one trip down the road, enjoy it. Absolutely. And a great way to enjoy it is to attend the Forest Grove Concord, the speaking place, July 21st. I'll make sure I put links to that and to Charvet Classic Cars on the website here on David's show notes page. David, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. Before I let you go, though, I do have to ask you one magic question. Abracadabra, where did that come from? It's an old phrase that comes, it's back in ancient times, and it just, it it came out of, it was an incantation that was used by old wizards and magicians, abracadabra, so there you are, kind of like hocus pocus, so there we are. Hocus pocus, yeah, there you go, absolutely. Well, until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. You take care of your cars. But who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.